With its millions of acres of working forest, this nationally protected expanse attracts nearly a million visitors every year. In addition to birds, deer, and fish, those headed for the land may find themselves face-to-face with something not of this world. Whether you believe something sinister lingers in the forest, the pain of families who have lost loved ones among its trees is very real. How can we help reunite those missing with their loved ones? This week's episode is The Mysteries of the Mark Twain National Forest. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Well, we've had it first. We did. This was one of the topics that was given to the Getting Into It patrons to vote on. We chose runners up from past votes that where there were, it was narrow, a narrow margin. And we have a tie. We had a tie between this one and another one. So next month, we already have it picked for what it's going to be. Yeah. Because, yeah. And so, and actually that was one of the comments that was like, oh, even if it doesn't win, can the other one, can you do it? So we, uh, yeah, we're going to do both of them. That one's got a little more involved as far as uh, some legal analysis. Mm -hmm. So we want to give it its due time. So we'll absolutely jump into that one as well. But thanks for everybody in the getting into it tier who so thoughtfully voted on this. And I believe this was a, uh, one of the suggested topics from a listener as well. So or multiple listeners as well. So we appreciate if you sent this in. Thank you very much uh, because we uh, have learned a lot. I'm particularly, I you know, I have a healthy fear of the forest. You do too. But now <laughs> I did not know. I'm scared of fault lines. So Who knew? learned a new thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People always ask us, what are the cases that keep you up at night or that you think about a lot? And mine are always missing person cases. And if you haven't watched the David Politis, several documentaries now of Missing 411, he's also written many, many books. If you want to have your mind fucking blown, check it out. It is creepy, wild stuff. And I went down a rabbit hole last night after watching an interview with him on Beyond Belief. And wow, I mean, it's just some things were brought up on that possible theories as to what's going on that I had never considered that now I don't think I'll ever be the same now that I know this could possibly exist. It's it's eerie. It's scary. And as we'll see, it's something that is very, very common, not just in Mark Twain National Forest, but National Forest in general. Mm-hmm. And it begs the question of, is it just because it's rough terrain and there's a lot of places that Things can get hidden or buried and people can't get to. Or are there portals that we're accidentally falling into and then we can't get back out of? Yeah. Why were those areas chosen mm-hmm. to be protected? We don't know. This one's a, a fascinating mixture of first person accounts of interactions 
folks have had in the forest as far as having something unsettling, possibly supernatural, and then actual true crime cases where they're what people are now doing in response to this rash of missing persons and, ha- frankly, having the area used by uh, unscrupulous, evil people who use it as a, a dumping ground and sometimes a hunting ground. And possibly in some of the missing persons cases, it could be that they were, you know, they were sought out because they were Take it in nature. We should all have that ability, right, to go out and just enjoy nature by ourselves. But there are definitely – there could be – if you have millions of acres, there you never know mm. what's out there. And when we were at Big Bend on our honeymoon, I told Pear, I looked at us, there's just there's shit out there we'll never know. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just vast. It's huge. I Every time we drive by a densely forested area – Whoever's in the car with me, I just say, how many bodies do you think are out there right now? Because that is exactly where my mind first goes. Because, like you said, there's just too much terrain for everything Mm -hmm. to be searched. And imagine all the stuff that has been found. But there's a lot of stuff that hasn't. It's just like the ocean. There's too much shit out there. We don't know what what all's there. And we never will know what all's there. And I didn't, I was reading that you're exactly right because it's so huge. This is the national forest and all the national parks are important. This one is very important as far as conservation efforts in the, in Missouri and it helps with the logging economy and things like that. So, and it, there's something to be said for having a beautiful place that you can go and hike in your woods for or, sure. or, you know, Yosemite or whatever. So I think we'll see when we get into it towards the end. As far as what we can do as a society to push our government and go like, hey, we want to keep these, but we also want to be safe. Could Mm -hmm. you maybe come up with some ways that we feel more comfortable going into areas like this? And you see, you know, somebody like David Politis, who's dedicated their career to cataloging these stories and then people that have come up with databases and pushing the government to to do things like that. So I think it'll uh, this is a a journey we're all going to take into Mark Twain National Forest and cover a lot of ground. Have you ever been? I have not. Uh, I've been to St. Louis. I've driven through mm-hmm. Missouri. I've driven through like the Wachita Mountains, which are further south. But this is all like the Ozarks. So it's the side of Missouri, an area of Missouri that I've missed on my, my cross-country treks between Dallas and Chicago. Same. I'll be, in, uh, I'll be in St. Louis in just two weeks for my brother's wedding. And I was looking at a map thinking, hmm. Could I get close to it? I don't think we're going to have time. But I was trying to figure out a way to go see some of this stuff because some of the stuff we're going to talk about, you can go see. Mm-hmm. So I'm always down to investigate things like this in a safe manner. You know, yeah, stuff we've covered. It's always mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the benefits of going on tour is the firsthand experience mm-hmm. that we have with the stuff that we've researched. So. And now we've wrapped the tour. So thank you to everyone that came out to any of the shows. We had a blast. We've got a lot of fun, exciting stuff still uh, on the horizon for the rest of the year. So stick with us. But we're not done traveling because we're going to Just for Laughs Montreal because Christy, I don't know if you all know this, in in addition to being a superstar, comedian, (laughs) amazing mom, a story sommelier for Freaky Friday, Christy Wallace is a fantastic actress on stage and on screen. And I... too kind. Well, you're I'm amazing. only I was only good because of your direction. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Paris <laughs> and I are co-directors. I was like, you listed me as a director, right? He was like, yeah, you directed. It. Like, All right. Just making sure. Very much. And, you uh, directed it. Paris uh, or our friend, our good friend Todd wrote a short film called Coleslaw. Paris and Heather co-directed it. I co-starred in it with Todd and a very funny friend of ours, Emily Gee. 
And it has been accepted to Just for Laughs, the comedic shorts division. So we are headed to Montreal next week, and I'm super stoked. We're going, we're going, we're going to make friends with uh, all of the comedians there who are like everybody, everyone who are just here. Get to ready and make make friends. You don't know yet, but you're about to have two new best friends, three really, because Leanne's going too. And get ready, Pete Holmes, because we're coming for you. <laughs> You don't know it yet, but you're about to have three new best friends from Texas. Like Bob Odenkirk, I know you and David Cross are really close, but... (laughs) Do you have room for three more? Have you ever heard of Mr. Show with Bob and David and Christy and Heather? (laughs) I would love... Oh, my God. I think it would be great. My dream come true. Oh, my heart just grew 10,000 sizes. It will be so fun. So uh, if you have Montreal recommendations, send them our way. Oh, yeah. Tell me where to get that poutine. Man, I had a taste of it in, uh, we weren't even in Canada, (laughs) we were in Boston, but it was so good, and I'm chasing that poutine high now, so let me know, and we all know why we're really going. United. sweet, sweet TH, the Tim Hortons is back, (laughs) baby. I'm going to have so many ice caps, it's going to be a problem. People call me... This is, I'm trying to think of a joke, but you call me thick because I like that Tim Horton ice cap. I was about to make a possibly inappropriate joke involving the Titanic. Oh, God. But I don't even know how it was going. I just thought ice cap. Too soon. Yeah, it's too soon. Probably is. I think I thought that because I recently saw something about the Titanic and it was, that is still horrifying to this day but yeah um well i'm christy i'm heather and let's get into it mark twain national forest spans over three million acres spreading over 29 counties throughout missouri it is home to several wilderness areas a range of volcanic mountains and the largest spring on national forest land named for author and missouri native mark twain the forest is home to more than 750 miles of trails Outdoor enthusiasts can enjoy hiking, horseback riding, and mountain biking. Countless waterways provide a scenic backdrop for canoeing, kayaking, and fishing. Aside from its natural beauty, Mark Twain National Forest has gained a more sinister reputation. Paranormal author Stephen Lachance told the Travel Channel, When I think of Mark Twain National Forest, I think of an evil place. I've had nightmares about the place. There have been several documented run-ins with paranormal beings in the forest. In 2003, a couple was driving down the road on the hunt for their campground. They found themselves lost, unable to find their destination. Soon their attention turned from directions to danger. First, the passenger heard angry barking. Within seconds, an enormous dog was running beside the car, keeping pace with the speeding SUV. Stephen Lachance was interviewed about the incident and told the Travel Channel, It was big, it it was black, it's got fangs, and it's got red eyes. If you want a good laugh, watch this episode. (laughs) And when this creature appears, I laughed out loud. And the whole episode is very fascinating. It's great. We got a ton ton of information from it. However, this specific, whatever kind of CGI was used, it looks as if... The front legs are stationary and the back legs are moving. So it looks very unnatural how it's running, quotes, it's it's something else. 
I mean, if you were driving down the road and you saw a dog who only running from the back legs and somehow yeah. the front legs were part of it, you'd be scared too. Uh, yeah, especially if it had glowing eyes and was giant and uh, had fangs. They did not spend the budget on the CGI. <laughs> no, but no, they but got, they, they did a lot of other great stuff. Full circle, Stephen Lachance is the one that wrote about the Union, Missouri Screaming House, which we covered in episode 118. When I was watching this, I was like, Stephen Lachance, wait a damn minute. Same guy. There you go. He's an expert in the Missouri paranormal. The couple sped up, but the canines seemed to keep pace. The maximum speed of a wolf is around 37 miles per hour, while the max speed of a coyote can reach up to 43 miles per hour. Their car was well above both those speeds, so the couple was terrified of what this animal could possibly be. Eventually, once they traveled fast enough, the pair was able to leave the beast in their rearview mirror. One theory as to what the animal may have been is a demonic beast known as a hellhound. According to werewolves.com, hellhounds are thought to be guardians summoned from another dimension to protect a region linked to the underworld. Paranormal investigator Brian Callahan told Mysteries of the Outdoors, Hellhounds are a demonic creature that have been called in, usually, and ritualistically they cannot be sent back. Hellhounds can also be used as protectors of sacred lands. Could it be that the demon dog was preventing the couple from getting close to some sinister secrets of the forest? What he made it sound like was that it was there to protect something. I love that someone also, they bought werewolves.com. Oh, fuck yeah. Which means they probably have an email that's like, Brian at werewolves.com. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Um the hellhounds have also been thought to be in folklore harbingers of death. Mm-hmm. But then also, some say they protect you and can bring good news. So, you know, it's however you want to to look at the hellhound, I guess. What, however it best fits your needs. Some people come to you with a message and you think that they're being aggressive, but really they're just trying to help you out. Mm-hmm. So it's how you receive the hellhound's message. It's going to be personal. perhaps. Danger awaited this couple in the forest, and the hellhound was like, get out of here. You don't want what's coming for you, and chased him out and saved their lives. It's like the Nain Rouge. People mm-hmm. try to hate on the Nain Rouge, and it's not a harbinger. He's a warner. Yes. He's a meteorologist. Mm-hmm. In 2009, David Harkins, a paranormal investigator, was exploring the grave of Eliza Jane Laycock, which sits in the forest beside a road just south of the cemetery. According to Harkins, locals believe Laycock was buried beside the road because she was a witch and therefore could not have been buried in the cemetery adjacent to the church. Out in the dark by himself, Harkins got a pang of sadness, something that was common to him any time he visited Laycock's grave. This night, when the temperatures dipped down into the low 20s, Harkins noticed something about the alleged witch's final resting place. The stones lying around her grave marker were all warm to the touch. And Harkin said that when he was out there, he said, it's not just I was sad for her because she passed away. He's like, I felt depressed mm-hmm. suddenly. Like, like he said, he, he equated it to the loss of a parent, mm-hmm. which to me what sounds like an empath when you mm-hmm. are in an area that holds a lot of energy and you kind of take it on and you feel what that person felt is kind of the vibe that I got. This is one of the places I was saying I would like to go visit because there is a wooden grave marker with her name on it just on the side of the road. So if you knew the location, I think you could go ahead and pay your respects. And people do visit it. I saw on like forums that people were like helping each other find directions and mm-hmm. showing pictures that they had visited. But that's the scary thing about any national forest, you can have directions and you might think you know where you're going, but one wrong turn 
and you're done so i in my rabbit hole last night i there was some clickbait thing of uh, a girl lost in i can't remember what forest she was in but she was missing for 7 days they did a huge search everyone assumed because it was uh below freezing and there was snow on the ground and she had just gone to walk her dog and got lost and then 7 days later they find her and they were just shocked that she'd been able to survive but her positive attitude plus she knew a lot about the wilderness and was very experienced kept her alive and cuddling with her dog at night for warmth but she was just taking her dog for a walk stopped by a pond to have a dip got out and thought the thought the trail that she needed to get back on was one way she actually turned the wrong way and before she knew it you're miles off your course and then she just kept walking. So she would walk 10 miles a day, Oof. which af- at the end, it was like, well, this worked out good for her. In the event you get lost, stay put, find an open field or an open trail. Hopefully you're wearing bright clothing or find something maybe brightly colored that you can wave around in case people are searching from the air. But you just drive into the forest. You're looking for this gravestone. Next thing you know, you don't know how to get back, and it's so disorienting. You can't see, you know, with the cover of trees and everything, you might not be able to see, like, above you. It's That shit is what scares me a lot. Especially if there's, like, cloud cover, you get mm-hmm. disoriented what direction is north, south. And also, I'm very reliant. I'm very guilty of being extremely reliant on my phone. Of course, mm-hmm. you don't have cell phone service out there. And then some motorists have reported their gauges on their car going haywire in this forest and so even if you think well i have a card it has a gps it tells me where i'm going it could still get uh you know it starts going wild when Mm -hmm. you're up there i am terrible with directions even in uh, dallas where i've lived for (laughs) decades i have to use gps so yeah if i got turned around out there uh i live in the forest now I'm a forest person. The only place I've ever felt like I knew where I was going all the time was Chicago, and that's because the lake's always to the east. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That was the easiest. So I was like, oh, I'm going north. You know, you if you uh-huh. keep the lake to your right, you're going north. That's good. Yeah. Harkins told Mysteries of the Outdoors that he looked up to find a man standing in the distance, staring at him. Even more terrifying, Harkins noticed the stranger was no ordinary man. He stood around seven feet tall, and his eyes were glowing red. Panicked, Harkins decided to leave. When he looked over his shoulder one last time, he saw the man flicker a few times before he disappeared. And the reenactment shows he looks a bit like the hat man. He looks like a combination of the hat man and slender man, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And then the flickering is, he described it as when sunlight comes in, Venetian blinds, kind of, you know, that kind of look. Mm-hmm. In the reenactment, it almost looked like static on a TV when a picture is trying to come through, but it but it can't fully. But you're out in the forest at night doing anything, and you look, look up and you see a person standing off in the distance looking at you. Hell no. Got your hands on some unusually hot rocks. You don't see an old pilgrim staring at you? Get out. <laughs> Paranormal investigator Brandon Callahan told Discovery Plus that he believes the paranormal figure was actually a demon that had been summoned using black magic. When a coven or a person is practicing some sort of ritual, they'll want that area protected so outsiders won't have a tendency to wander in. So they're going to call in protectors, and they can manifest themselves in human form or any other form. So perhaps the witch or those um, 
still in connection with her, want her space to be sacred and, and are protecting it, much like the hellhound protects things. Mm-hmm. This demon might be doing the same thing. Yeah, maybe he's protecting her grave. Mm-hmm. Indeed, the rumored practice of the dark arts in the Mark Twain National Forest has been around for centuries. Stephen Lachance told Mysteries of the Outdoors that he believes this may explain the gruesome scene he stumbled upon one day while exploring the forest. I came across the pasture one time. It was full of deer, and the deer were all dead and mutilated. And I'm not talking one or two or three. I'm talking 20, 30. It was pretty weird and unexplainable. Was this a reenactment? Because it looked very real in the show. I It may have been photographs of... Okay, it looks pretty else. real, and they were, you know, if if something is just going for the stomach uh, entrail region, that's what it looked like. Like they'd been disemboweled, and their heads and everything were intact. But he speculated it could be some type of dark arts pra- practice or something of of that nature, or hellhound. Hellhound's got to eat. Alien. Hellhound does got to eat. I would read that children's book. Hellhound's got to eat. And it's about like, you know, um, having a nutritious, balanced diet. Um, Mm -hmm. When we covered in our Salt Lake City show, when we covered Skinwalker Ranch, we Mm -hmm. talked about mutilation of the deer and how that was very commonplace. So that and their interpretation in that area is that it's related to uh, extraterrestrials. Mm -hmm. In 2011, Bud Steed, a paranormal investigator, was in an area of the forest he described as... Real creepy kind of place, especially when it starts getting dark. Bud was out there following up on an incident reported to him where a motorist suffered unexplained car instrument malfunctions. When Bud took a walk near the area, he heard something unusual, telling the Travel Channel. Heard this really low, throaty kind of growl. I don't even know how to describe it. I spent a lot of time in the woods, and it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. Bud prepared for a fight once he heard the sounds of footsteps. He then saw a figure walking nearby. Just as soon as the footsteps began, they stopped. He tried following the figure into the forest, but as soon as he got closer, the figure disappeared before his eyes. He told the Travel Channel, It's just one of those experiences you can't explain. There are maybe five or six paranormal investigators interviewed for this, and I hope they get some type of a real-world show for them because they all have just... Black leather jackets, several rings. the Silver the, necklace. Yes, silver cross necklace. They all have the look. They all seem like nice people. Oh, yeah. Who enjoy what they do and are very passionate about it. Give them a reality show, you cowards. We want to see six paranormal investigators picked to live in a house. And we want to see what happens. One forest. <laughs> what happens when things stop getting polite and start getting real. Yes. Real weird. <laughs> This would be a terrific show, and I honestly can't believe that it hasn't already been done. I would watch a reality show. Fuck with, yes. Yes. And, like, we were talking about this uh, with, like, they're going to go about di- their methods different ways. Like, oh, you use this type of spirit mm-hmm. box. I actually use this one. Or I don't use a spirit box. I use this instead. You know, there's, like, hierarchy. Oh, of, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's some arrogance. There's some, uh, for sure, this Any is the experts. right way you hunt ghosts, you idiot. A field with a lot of experts. You know, there's always infighting. Oh, so. yeah, for sure. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. But real weird Mark Twain, I would watch that. <laughs> One possible explanation for the creepy incidents involves fault lines buried deep in the forest surface. 
A 150-mile-long fault line called the New Madrid Seismic Zone runs across five states and right through the Mark Twain National Forest. Between December 1811 to March 1812, the New Madrid Fault was responsible for the most devastating earthquakes in U.S. history. Ranging in magnitudes of 8.4 to 8.8, the quakes were so powerful they made church bells in Boston ring and caused a fluvial tsunami in the Mississippi River, making the river run backwards for several hours, according to History.com. That is so significant. Boston is like 1,200 miles from yeah. Missouri. Yes, it's it's insane. The pictures of what a ma- what an earthquake of this magnitude can do is just it's unbelievable. This the ground literally opens up. They said ri- rivers because the ground opens up with current rivers, so all that water goes and floods the forest. But then new caverns open up from the ground splitting. The water goes into that. So now you got new rivers, which I never thought about. Would make like, sense, but I never thought about that. They ain't on the map. It's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> that's why you got to update the map. But I had never thought, oh, yeah, that's a way that a river could get made is an earthquake. And then water just floods into it. Yeah, you got the crack. The water just goes in. Mm-mm. Win-win. Luckily, because they're wasn't a ton of people that lived in the area. The death toll wasn't as high as it would have been otherwise. There were still around a thousand deaths. But now if this happened in most areas, I mean, it would be catastrophic. But it kept happening over the course of months. So you got all these people that lost their home. Now they're living in tents. They got another earthquake coming a month later. And it said most of them survived because they didn't have a house to fall on them. That's true. God, mm-hmm. son of a gun. Like, oh, well, we're good for a while, right? Nope. No. It starts rumbling again. I There are seismologists that are monitoring this, right? They'll give us a heads up, won't they? Earthquakes are the scariest type of natural disaster to me because I don't know about a heads up, but I believe of all the natural disasters, you have the least amount of warning, if any warning, yeah. for this. Hurricanes, you've usually got a couple days. You see a tornado coming, very still very uh comes on quick but you've got maybe 15 minutes i think is usually mm-hmm. what it is but an earthquake you're just sitting there and all of a sudden the ground opens up something you take for granted is mm-hmm. solid ground to walk on yeah my brothers have been in a couple because they live in la one of them my brother zach was in the shower which he said if you want the shit scared out of you just be the most vulnerable you can be Naked in a shower when a fucking earthquake starts. That will make your stomach fall out of your ass mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. There was God. one in Texas a couple years ago that I did not feel, but a lot of people that lived around here said that they felt. Did you? Do you remember that? I can't recall if I was living here at the time or not. I think it may have been in Oklahoma, but a couple of people I know said they were sitting on the couch, and it's almost like this feeling like you're kind of – in the ocean, like it's just like woo, like this wavy kind of like woozy feeling with the ground. I uh, if if it happened where I lived, I didn't notice it. Um, I'm falling down all the time, just trying to walk normal. So it, there's a good chance that I wouldn't have noticed it. Sometimes oh, I just fall over. Bloomberg wrote in April of 2022 headline: Fracking boom turns Texas into the earthquake capital of the U.S. What? 
A state not known for earthquakes has been hit so hard it's poised to overtake California and Alaska. Well, if you have seen the cinema blockbuster Earthquake 10.0, you will know that this is the plot to that. Yep. And the fracking is what does this all in. That is shocking news to me because I don't think that they happen that often. At least I don't read about them. It looks like uh, it's primarily in West Texas and the Permian Basin where the mm. majority of the drilling is happening. And it interviews people that live there and uh, what damage it's done to their homes and Damn. things like that. Because their houses, your houses, if you're living in an area where there's not usually earthquakes, you build a house assuming you're not going to have that happen. Versus California, you know, they have designs. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about that when we were on that uh water taxi in Tampa about hurricane proofing mm-hmm. windows and things like that. But man, yeah. And exactly what you said. Uh, one of the residents said during a hurricane or tornado, you can hide or take cover or you can leave. But during an earthquake, there's nowhere to hide. Mm-hmm. I find man. it to be the scariest of all the natural disasters. Yeah. And I didn't think I would have to worry about them, but apparently now, I mean, West Texas, we're still hundreds of miles away from that, but a big enough one, we're going to feel that here. This is a fun fact. Geologists, you're absolutely right, and it will be, they're getting larger and larger, but geologists don't understand really why, but they agree that it's actually the disposal of the wastewater rather than the actual fracking of the shale rock itself that causes the movement of the earth. Mm. And so they're trying to determine a way to distribute the water out in a safer fashion so as to avoid all that. What, uh, you know what, thank you, geologists, yes. and thank you, seismologists. Thank you, engineers. Easy. Thank you, all of those people that do that, because I have no clue about it, and I'm glad others do that can keep us safe. Over a five-month period, 2,000 tremors occurred, causing the geography of the region to drastically change, according to Mysteries of the Outdoors. Additionally, the powerful quakes liquefied the ground in certain areas, releasing a thick, toxic black smog in the air, making it difficult at the time for people to breathe. That sounds like something not of this world. This was 1811 to 1812. The ground opens up. Smoke billows out. You're like, well, hell hell is here. The devil's coming. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's what you believe, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, and, you know, it it's, makes sense that you would, you would think those types of things because there's There hasn't been a lot of other stuff to come around yet to give you a different point of view. The shots from the forest, there is still like smoke pouring out of trees and mist. It's very creepy and eerie. Oh, certainly. Gorgeous also, but also creepy and eerie. Well, it would just be very disorienting as well. Lack of clean air wasn't the only problem brought on by the smog. Some believe the demonic forces previously trapped underground were released into this world after the quakes broke apart the ground. According to Stephen Lachance, The paranormal activity is caused by the fault line. Paranormal investigator Brian Callahan agreed, telling the Travel Channel, When you have a fault line as large as the Madrid, nobody should be surprised that the Mark Twain National Forest is wrought with demons and monsters and ghosts because you're directly accessing this underworld that we're completely unfamiliar with. So in this theory, if I'm understanding Brian Callahan correctly, hell is real and it's really under us. There are downstairs neighbors. That's that's what it sounds like he is saying. I think so. I was always under the impression the ground cracked open and you fell in. There was dinosaurs on the other side because I watched The Land of the Lost. 
Oh, you know, I've never seen that. Was that the premise? Oh, the original Land of the Lost was, I think, in the 60s or 70s, and they did a 90s remake, and I was just entranced by the 90s remake. It's a family. The premise is this family's in their Jeep, and they accidentally drive through the forest into this crack, like an earthquake crack in the ground, and they end up in prehistoric times. Wow. Is this animated? No, it was real live action. What made so? What were the dinosaurs like? Real? They were animatronics. Uh, yeah, I mean, they the the. I think Land of the Lost is where it's. Uh, there's dinosaurs. Is that the one with Slee Stacks? I can't recall. But there was a film that was. They did a 2009 remake with Will Ferrell, which I have, and Danny McBride, who I love. But I have not watched the remake. Uh, it was just based on the television show that the two television shows that came before it interesting i was unaware of that but you know maybe that's where they all gone we all thought that they were extinct turns out they're just living down in the core of the earth marshall will and holly were the characters names on that okay all right it's a good show though perhaps this exposure to the underworld is responsible for the demonic grunts people have reported hearing in the forest hellhounds protecting their territory if not demonic dogs another monster may be responsible Feral hogs. As of summer 2022, the federal government was formulating a plan to deal with a large quantity of feral hogs in the Mark Twain National Forest. Hunting the hogs on federal land is illegal, so other more compassionate methods are being explored. Still, there may be yet another monster making its presence known in the forest. First of all, hogs can take over a place. Oh, they're rough. They just start mating and they will take over everything and they do become a legitimate problem. So if these are running rampant in the forest and they can get really aggressive and they're very loud. I mean, Mm -hmm. I hear pedal and she's just a pig. Mm -hmm. She sounds like a demon a lot of the times. So if you're out hunting or you're in a tent in the middle of the night and you just hear that, I'd lose my shit. Does, would you describe it? Has she ever given a low throaty kind of a growl, the similar yes, to Bud's? Very teeth? yes. When she is upset, and you're trying to like, I was trying to get her to come inside the other night, and she didn't want to, and she's like, <laughs> they almost bark, and she's like, <laughs> it's wild. So if if you're uh, alone in the forest and you hear that, yeah, I'd be like, there's a demon here. You're following up on a paranormal investigation by yourself and you mm-hmm. just hear that? Yeah, I'm sure you'd be scared. Um, do you think that people say uh, they're mating like rabbits because it's more sexy than they're mating like feral <laughs> hogs? They're in there fucking like a couple of feral hogs. Uh, we need to start that one because it's way funnier. <laughs> <laughs> you got to make that face I just made too. <laughs> well, with over 3 million acres of dense forest... It should come as no surprise that dozens of Bigfoot sightings in the MTNF have been reported. The YouTube channel Sasquatch Theory chronicles interviews from hunters and wilderness enthusiasts that claim to have encountered the beast. One man, Matt, said he was never a believer until he witnessed a Bigfoot walk across the road as Matt was driving down a forest road one day. According to Matt, the creature was at least six feet tall and covered from head to toe and hair the color of a paper sack. Matt said the animal didn't seem at all concerned with traffic on the road, confidently walking across the street without looking both ways. As the Bigfoot climbed down into a ditch, Matt noted the solid black soles of his feet. 
I like that Bigfoot's like, you'll stop for me. Matt was uh, very surprised. He said, any any type of man is going to stop and look both ways. And then you look again before you cross the street. But he just came out. He didn't mind me at all. And he just walked right across the road. Also, this documentary is what we will call it. Is um, they could have used some editing. It is uh, several interviews that are ten to fifteen minutes long each, and they, it is just straight, straight through. There's no editing. There's no cutting anything. So you get a real feel for the person. Matt seemed like a very nice man, and all of them, I firmly believe that they believe what they saw was a Bigfoot. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you don't go on camera on record and give a solid 15-minute interview if you don't genuinely believe what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Although, to his argument, a man walking across the street, yeah, okay, they can look both ways. But a man doesn't have the swagger of a Bigfoot. No, the, the Bigfoot's like, I dare you. I dare you to hit me. But the, the guy interviewing him is under the impression that the Bigfoot knew the car was there. And he was just like... Yeah, it's like you're you're marking your territory. You're showing him who's the boss. Got to. Another hunter named Bill told the channel that while camping in the forest one night, he was awoken around 1.30 a.m. by a cacophony of sounds, including huffing, puffing, and growling by an unknown animal. Armed with a loaded forty-five, Bill crept out of his tent to see what he was up against. Much to his surprise, Bill saw what he believes was a Bigfoot. Jackpot. <laughs> I don't think that's what you would think you're going to come out. Maybe a bear, a hog, something. I don't know if Bigfoot, if I'm going to be like, well, I'm going to deal with a Bigfoot when I get out of my tent. Because I would not have gone out of my tent if that's what I thought. No, probably not. I mean, he seems like uh, he's armed and, you know, rough mm-hmm. and tumble outdoorsman. But I would probably wouldn't. I'd be like, unzip <laughs> a little bit be like, oh, shit, it's a Bigfoot. And just watch it from afar. Mm-hmm. Not wanting to harm the creature, but rather just scared away. Bill fired five shots, 15 feet above the animal's head. Bill expected the Bigfoot to retreat and for the woods to go silent. Instead, the opposite happened. The forest erupted with sounds of groaning, knocking, and other animalistic cries. Bill told the filmmakers that he then realized there were many more of the creatures and that they may have thought he killed one of their own. In addition to these accounts, the show reports at least 12 other Bigfoot sightings out of Missouri. Well, if you got a whole lot of forest-covered area and millions of acres, it's a great place for them to... We haven't watched Sasquatch Uh-oh. Legend of the Bigfoot Gosh, DVD. We Blu-ray, should. We, we should watch that soon. I had never thought of a, a gaggle of Bigfoot. I don't know what we call a group of Bigfoot. We, we should figure that out. Big feet? I never thought of Big feet living in groups together like a pod yeah i you always think of it as one solitary animal like one owns each forest but i don't think that's how it works so if they all live there together and they think that one of their own has been killed oh yeah it makes sense they're gonna rise up and maybe express grief or be like you better stay in that tent bill or we're all coming after you yeah, human, Bigfoot, it doesn't matter. We all have that. You just, you fucked with my friend, not on my watch, mm-hmm. and you come on out of there. May I put forth the suggestion that we call it a lumber of Bigfoot? A lumber? Like, yes. L- they is lumber that a us- real term? 
No, I'm just I'm suggesting it because they kind of lumber when they walk and lumbers in the woods in the forest. Okay. And it's like a murder of crows, a yes. lumber of Bigfoot. It's uh, a suggestion. Murder of crows is my favorite grouping of animals. There you go. I lumber of Bigfoot. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> when this is in the next uh Stephen Lachance book, we want credit for <laughs> that a lumber of Bigfoot is what we're calling them. Please, sir. Bill's also said after this happened, he just, like you said, he locked, well, he didn't lock himself in the tent. He zipped himself up in the tent with that forty-five, just right there, staying wide awake. And as soon as day broke, he threw everything in his truck and got the hell out of there. Oh, sir. Yeah, you can't stay around and no. find out what's going to happen when the lumber surrounds you. He said, they give us the day, but they don't want us to, to be there in the night, which... You know what? At least they're giving us the day because that's when most things are out in the forest anyways. That's when you want to see all the stuff. So that's nice of them. They give us the day. That's so dramatic. <laughs> I love that. Oh, they were all quite dramatic. Yes. Deep beneath its surface, the forest houses a network of caves dating back centuries. The underground labyrinths have played host to Native Americans who once inhabited the land all the way to 19th century outlaws who used the caves as hideouts on the run from the law. In one particular cave, Jesse James's name is carved into the stone with the date September 22nd, 1879. This is pretty impressive to see. They show this on the Mysteries of the Outdoor. And to if it's legit, which I think they've verified it has, that is very – those things, those are exciting to me. I think that stuff's pretty cool. When you see history like that right in front of you and you can kind of – touch it like when we when on tour when we went to the mordiki house and you know this is the original wood that enslaved individuals used to to build this church you know and you're touching this wood that was used 300 years ago that sort of stuff holds energy in my opinion and, and it's neat to be able to experience that too that, it's definitely electric to have and preserve, and that's mm -hmm. one thing the Mordecai House in Raleigh does. And also, this the whole purpose of a national forest, national park, is this preservation of land. And that's one of the stated, I think it's the Wilderness Act, that's the stated goal is to have the the personal sense of calm that you have to know that that cave will still be there for generations. That mm. That's the purpose of protecting certain areas of land. And we didn't do great as a country on the front end as far mm -hmm. as... Uh, mass genocide and taking the land. But if there's any a way to possibly kind of try to continue to maintain it, I think that's the beauty of a place like this. And mm -hmm. if we can keep the hellhounds out. <laughs> yeah, that's step one. Well, outlaws aren't the only ones that have used the caves as a hiding place for their loot. Some believe a hall of records containing history, artifacts, and medicine of a lost civilization is located in one of the many caves. In 2000, a Native American shaman reported being led to the cave while blindfolded by a tribal elder. The shaman had been chosen to learn the tribe's oldest and greatest secret, the location of the Hall of Records treasure. Local historian Charles Teague set out in search of the cave after hearing the legends. After searching for years, Teague claims to have discovered the location of the cave in the Mark Twain National Forest. He says it is underneath the Missouri Mystery Mound, a location he found after mapping fault lines in the area. This man is also quite a character. Anybody with a singular focus and obsession is always mm -hmm. fascinating to me. He, in his interview, has a um, 
photo album that is probably four inches thick that is just filled with documentation, photos of himself, things he's discovered over the years, and he's just flipping through it and, and reminiscing. And they say that this Hall of Records, this particular one houses a ton of artifacts and, and treasures. There's another man that's interviewed in the show that says they have these in other states too. So perhaps the theory is that prior civilizations have kind of stored things. Um, They're, they're historical stuff all in one location. And if you can locate it, then maybe you unlock uh, the door to a bunch of mysteries. Uh, Atlanteans was one. Mm. So who knows? But this particular one is, um, according to Teague, in the underneath the Missouri Mystery Mound. Maybe if it's not yours, don't touch it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably, you know, leave it or let folks who it's it has a little bit more claim to it before you start going in and fondling things. I, if, if it is there, I wonder why um, preservationists or archaeologists or haven't removed it in order to preserve it so it doesn't get taken by just ne'er-do-wells roaming around the forest. That's a good question. Teague is confident he knows the whereabouts of the Hall of Records, but told Mysteries of the Outdoors that he has been unsuccessful in gaining access. Every time he has tried, armed men have shown up, demanding he leave the area. Teague believes they are protecting something they don't want the public to find. Telling Discovery Plus... It's an underground depository of ancient artifacts from all over the world that have been deposited in one area in the middle of the United States in a cave. And the ancient artifact of treasures is protected, and people are not welcome there. So according to Teague, he doesn't ever say who these men might be, but someone is guarding this and trying to keep people out. And he said he and a buddy showed up to go exploring and just kind of out of nowhere these armed men roll up in a truck and they're like, what the hell are y'all doing here? So much like we were just talking about with Skinwalker Ranch, it seems like there might be cameras and people know what's going on. So, you know, even you you don't see them, but they see you and they're watching. That is another eerie thing about the forest. But yeah, who knows? They Maybe they're G-men, they're FBI agents mm-hmm. or national parks, or it may be you don't know that. It's not private land because a lot of it is federally mm-hmm. protected land. I think some of it is privately owned. Mm-hmm. And so you never know if you you veer off into the not public lands anymore. People might have tripwires or alarms, motion sensors, things like that. Mm-hmm. Though theories on supernatural incidents in the forest have gained popularity. For families who have lost loved ones in the Mark Twain National Forest, the horrors they face are undeniably real. With harsh weather, stringent topographical conditions, and lack of communication services, national parks like Mark Twain become the final resting place for scores of people each year. In 2015, 57-year-old Linda McLaughlin went missing from the Sunset Hills area in Missouri. She was in the middle of a divorce from her husband, John. After Linda filed for divorce, John threatened her, leaving her friends and family concerned for her safety. They shared two adult sons and were due in court for a hearing related to the divorce the week she went missing. Police utilized GPS to track both Linda and John's devices to the couple's place of business the night of her disappearance. 
Officers tracked John's phone to a family farm that night, then back to the farm the next day, where he continued on to a remote area of the Mark Twain National Forest. When law enforcement searched the area around where John's phone had pinged, they found Linda's remains. After delaying for two years, John McLaughlin finally pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter, tampering with evidence, and abandonment of a corpse. He was sentenced to 23 years in jail. This is definitely a heartbreaking story, but it does show the value of GPS being able to, you know, track a cell phone signal if you have probable cause. In this case, she was in fear for her safety. It's sadly a case that happens you hear over and over again when you have a spouse threatening another spouse in the the, the heat of a, a nasty divorce. Mm-hmm. In 2020, 29-year-old Brittany Gorman went missing. Her car was last seen at the Buck Hollow Access Area leading into the Mark Twain National Forest. Her eyeglasses were inside her car, and a pool of blood had formed near her car door. When law enforcement officials interviewed her estranged ex-husband, Dylan Hanger, he denied involvement. After further questioning, Hanger admitted that the two got into an argument about their children and a government stimulus check. During the fight, Hanger stabbed Brittany to death. He then placed her body in his trunk and drove into the Mark Twain National Forest, where he dumped her corpse. After questioning, Hanger led officers to the location. Since the crimes happened on federal land, he faced federal charges of second-degree murder and tampering with physical evidence. In May 2022, Hanger finally pleaded guilty to the charges. He faces the possibility of life in prison, but currently awaits sentencing. So if you kill someone on federal land, the charges are different than if it was not. Yeah, and you go through a different court system and uh, you you know, end up at a different prison, you know, federal penitentiary. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's what this is. The part, the area where the altercation happened was on federal land. And it's when you hear they had an argument about their children. Mm-hmm. Heart wrenching because that is who is hurt the most out of. This. Oh, yeah. And the short-sightedness and the anger and the hatred of a person, and it's like you you hate someone more, you're more angry than you love your kids, is that's it's a that's an epidemic of having angry spouses, possible pre previous domestic violence. I don't know, but at least in this case, absolutely domestic violence that mm-hmm. it overshadows even the love you have for your kids. Both of these cases, yeah, be it they had young children adults. or adult sons. You know, they they both lost a mom. The Charlie Project, a publicity vehicle and clearinghouse of information for missing persons, lists several currently missing persons associated with the Mark Twain National Forest. In 1996, Robert C. Garman and a female acquaintance from Arkansas were enjoying time out in the Missouri wilderness. According to NAM U.S., he and the acquaintance had been partying for several days with other friends in the forest. On September 24, 1996, Robert was seen arguing with a male and female acquaintance. After the argument, he walked into a wooded campground area and was not seen again. Two days later, horseback riders came upon a woman who was disoriented and badly bruised. Upon help arriving, the woman told the authorities that she had been sexually assaulted and that Robert had been murdered. According to the victim, her assailant shot Robert in the face. His body has never been recovered and the case remains opened. On April 19, 2016, David Carl Heitman had an appointment with his social worker. That was the last time he was seen alive. Two months later in June, that same social worker conducted a home visit and found the residence empty. 
Four months later, in October of 2016, a bag of clothing and identification documents belonging to David was found by a hunter in the Mark Twain National Forest, about two miles off the road. The location was over 100 miles from David's home. Local authorities searched the area, but there was no sign of David. He remains missing, and his case remains open. That's haunting. That you can just disappear. That anyone can just up and disappear, and you had a whole life. He had a family, friends, you know, whatever else, and Mm -hmm. then poof, one day you're just gone. Yeah, and this, and also the same with Robert Garman is the idea that you're out with friends and you walk however far away. You know, it doesn't say he ran thirty miles in mm-hmm. the other direction. You just take off walking, and something or someone is lurking in the woods in either of these cases. Because I don't think there's signs of foul play with David Heitman, but but for the fact that all that was found was his belongings, and you know, the, he physically was not found a hundred miles from his house yeah. too. Yeah. So it begs the question. How did he get there? You why? know, his his car wasn't reported found. Why why would he have been there at all? Yeah. In 2017, 66-year-old Robert Leslie Huddleston from West Plains, Missouri, went for a walk in the Mark Twain National Forest as he did almost daily. An avid walker, Huddleston would sometimes cover four to six miles per day. He lived just across from the forest, so getting to the trail from his home was a quick commute. However, on July 31st, 2017, Huddleston went for his walk and never returned. He remains missing and his case remains open. And that's another one that's uh, disturbing in a different way that a person is very familiar with the area, walks significantly every day, could, again, you leave, it's just another day. He just Mm -hmm. went for another walk, always. And, you know, 66 years old, if you're walking four to six miles a day, you're pretty spry. You know, you're able to take care of yourself. It's the mind reels at what, possibly could have happened and that's what all of these these missing people their families that's all their mind is doing Mm -hmm. is reeling of like what could have happened there's no closure you know you there's nothing to bury there's no answers as to what happened Mm -hmm. it's just a, a constant open wound and I think, you know, some people may go, oh, well, even with the body, there's not closure because why did this happen? It's still something. It's still something tangible. Mm-hmm. And I think human beings for millennia, you get something out of the concept of honoring a person who's passed on, whether you bury them, cremation, whatever. There is something to be said of the healing process of honoring their life in a certain way. And it's hard to do that if you don't know. Are you still out there? Yeah. Or you're just left wondering what mm-hmm. happened, even if... Yeah. The answer is something horrible. Mm-hmm. For me, I think having that answer would be better than not having that answer. Oh, I because so. my mind would go to the darkest places possible. So anything I can imagine probably is no worse than what actually happened. And at least then I would have an end to the story. Well, and I think, yeah, absolutely. And we try to tell ourselves that when we lose a loved one of, oh, this is at least blank. You know, Mm -hmm. you tell yourself, my dad had cancer, but at least he didn't suffer this much. You know, and it's, that doesn't take it away, but it's just all coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. and ways that we deal with tragedy. And so it's always heartbreaking when a family doesn't even get that, that doesn't even get some way to try to possibly heal in some Mm -hmm. way. It's difficult. Patrick Chapman was last seen around 10 p.m. on the night of May 1st, 2020. According to the AWARE Foundation, Patrick had gone to Mill Spring, Missouri to stay with a friend. That friend got up around 4 a.m. to go to work and noticed Patrick and his burgundy 1995 Ford Escort were both gone. 
On May 29th, Patrick's car was found about a half mile from the Mill Spring Cemetery on a four-wheeler path in the Mark Twain National Forest. Authorities found his wallet, ID, and other personal items in his car. A devoted father of his young son, his family believes that he would never have left the boy willingly. His family has established a Facebook page to gather volunteers to help search, as well as any information. According to Post, although his wallet and ID were in the car, his cash was taken. His car was also completely wiped of fingerprints. Patrick's family continues the search using drones, walking the forest, and soliciting the public for tips. Patrick's son, Jackson, now 13 years old, is aiding in the efforts alongside the boy's mother, Patrick's sister, and the rest of his family. Despite the fact that the police have not officially declared this a homicide, his family is looking for any possible suspects who may have caused his disappearance. Links with information on how you can help with tips, aid in the search efforts, and support the family's GoFundMe are posted in our show notes. This is very heart-wrenching. The family is very vocal about wanting further police investigation into it because in it's a little bit different than the other cases. It's I mean, except for Robert Garman, where you have a witness that says, I saw this violent act happen to him, but that I think there was a push from an initial push from law enforcement to go, well, he probably, you know, it's probably death by suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he drove up there, but the family said, A, that would never happen. B, if that happened, who wiped the car down and why? Mm-hmm. And what does he need cash for? Mm-hmm. He always kept this cash on him and this cash is missing. So I think that is where they're just wanting, they're pressing the authorities to look further into the case and are relentless. You know, anytime the weather is nice, they're posting that they're going out. It reminds me of Daniel Robinson's father of mm-hmm. we're not going to give up. This was only 2020. So it's been now two years, you know, a little bit over two years. And it's extremely heartbreaking to watch that. Now that has become part of this 13-year-old's yeah. life growing up is helping. And and his Patrick was no longer married to Jackson's mom. And she has become this spokesperson of like, this is my son's dad. My son is yeah. devastated. We want to bring him home. And you like to see that where it's, you know, whatever we happen in our past relationship happened doesn't matter. Right now, what's most important is bringing our son's father oh, yeah. home safe and like working together. And it's uh, as much as you please check out the, we'll, we'll put it at the very top of the show notes. If you go to sinisterhood.com slash show notes, or you should be able to click a link in your app. We'll put all of that up there. If you're in the Missouri area, if you have the capacity to go help walk tips, anything like that, if you were around in May of 2020 around that area or know somebody, anything that could possibly help them, I think they are w- welcoming any and all yeah. possible, possible tips. When my dad died, my mom stepped in, she was did more for us than you know any it wasn't even a question and my parents had been divorced for many many years at that point it's you put your feelings and like you said anything that happened aside this is your still your kid's dad so you know and and they're hurting and so you do whatever you can the cash and the wiping down of the car is suspicious i also wonder and that's you know a lot of people in this my research yes a lot of people go missing some people want to go missing and we discussed that too in the Alaska Triangle a lot of people move out there i'm not saying that that happened here but you know if one was to disappear what you might think you need cash but leave your id and stuff behind because you're you're going to get a you know, assume a new identity or whatever. I hope that that's not the case for his son's sake and the rest of his family and that he's found. But 
And I think based on his interactions with them, he had been texting with them and things like that and making plans. So I think that's why it was so out of character mm-hmm. um, that, that it was just this is a third party interaction. And I think if you they're absent any well, there was an accident and he hit his head and mm-hmm. then he wandered off kind of thing, which finding the car not wrecked, I think then leads you to go, OK, well, there's a third party intervener that would keep you from going mm-hmm. home and seeing your son. Beginning in the summer of 2021. TikTok videos exploring the number of missing persons in national parks began gaining attention. One video by user Becca Goldman, at BeBetter10, racked up over 14 million views. One commenter wrote, I'm not afraid of the parks. I'm terrified. In an interview with The Daily Dot, Becca expanded on her video, saying, We're not seeing it in the news because it's not really being talked about much at all. Why would they tell you? It would just be another thing you'd be afraid of, and they want your money to go into the national parks so you pay the fees to go and camp and hike. She has a whole series she's now doing called Are You Afraid of the Park, where each time she examines a different national park in a missing persons case. It's it's quite interesting, and she's very well-traveled and is an outdoor enthusiast, so she's been to a ton of parks. She's had her own experiences in them, some creepy paranormal type stuff. But she is not the only one that believes the real numbers of missing people are being kept from the public because it would affect how many people go. Therefore, the money's the the parks wouldn't make as much money. And they, you know, I think they they rely on funding and mm-hmm. that's was the the I guess I didn't think about that when we went to Big Bend for the honeymoon that they they got a uh, fence up and they're charging tickets to go to the mm-hmm. desert. It's not a free desert. You have nope. to pay to get in. Yeah. You have to pay $30 to get in. But when you think of there's a person there that's maintaining, there's people that are maintaining all parts of it, then that's what it is. But also, no matter where you go, I think you should have disclosure about so we yeah. can all weigh the risks and benefits. Well, and also, if you're paying to go there, then you should know that, you know, part of that is I there's a certain uh, assumption of safety that would come with that, that I'm paying for this. It's a ticket. You know, I'm here. You have my name. You sold me a ticket. Therefore, if I don't come back, you have my name and you know I'm missing and I should be added to a database of missing people. Yeah, could you maybe just keep tabs on who mm-hmm. all's here? I think mm-hmm. that'd be helpful. I noticed we went on one of the hikes. There was a thing that was like, this is extremely dangerous. You will absolutely, you will get heat exhaustion if you do not bring water, wear mm. a hat, wear sunscreen, all, yada, yada, yada. But it was like at the entrance of the park. And I thought, man, I bet you there are people. And I saw some of them walking past us. Of course, I had a big hat on. I was wearing like a UV shirt, had a ton of water because I'm like anal retentive and had a little bracelet that's like paracord with a compass on it. If you snap it apart, there's a knife, there's fishing line, there's a flint to start a fire. It's just like eight in one bracelet. I love it. Paris accidentally traveled with it. I was like, babe, because you brought a knife on a plane. So don't talk about you, you it. You tried to. They took it from you and you had to mail it back home. Damn it. But I think about there are people that easily just wander out here and go, it'll be fine. Oh, yeah. And uh, the I do appreciate the in the National Park Service as much as they can trying to warn people. But just always just it's just be over prepared. Might be mm-hmm. might be we could be over prepared when you went on those hikes where there help stations ever. No. It was so uh, if you the, if shit goes sideways, you better hope your cell phone works. 
Yeah, there was a at the at the entrance of one of the hikes where you get to go up along this ridge and you're basically in the Rio Grande. There was a little kind of I guess like they put up a bill, not a billboard, but where you know you put up like a bulletin board where there was you know FYI on the park and things, and there was a little sandwich board and a bathroom. But I I know that there's rangers patrolling, but it, I didn't see like a station and there wasn't stuff along the way. It was just like signs that said hey if this if this is flooded don't walk in it and i was mm. like you ha- somebody walked in it that's why that <laughs> oh, sign's yeah. there well a lot of times you don't realize how deep it is until it's too late and that's what they said they said you think you can handle it mm-hmm. you cannot we're here to warn you you cannot and the same with the heat they were like you cannot and i have been absolutely guilty i'm not shaming anybody i am the world's worst about going i could do that i have passed out uh running around a pond I have given myself uh, impacted colon from being dehydrated because I decided to run 10 miles around White Rock Lake and drink a Haritos Mandarin soda afterwards rather than like water. So I'm a person that's like, I can do that now. Not so much anymore in my in my older years. But I can see how if you're just like, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be mm-hmm. great. And you just run out there and you go, oh, I just had no idea. So I'm glad that they're up in the signage and things like that. The education's probably number one thing, but maybe, I don't know, help stations, lifeguards, do they have those? Did you ever see a ranger walking around? I saw them in like Jeeps and stuff and at different, you know, when you pass by. So they're kind of patrolling to make sure there's no one stranded and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there it's a, at least Big Bend. And when I was there in March, it was a sufficiently populated, like there were families and tons of people. So if we had seen somebody and our cell phone worked may 50% of the time, which, Mm -hmm. Again, I'm talking shit about not preparing. I did not download offline maps. That's on me. The good thing about Big Ben is they give you a map when you come in. So we were able to follow like an old school paper map. But for I am very reliant on the Mm -hmm. technical, not technical, but the virtual map on my phone. And I thought, well, shit, I got to take it back to the old school with this map here. One major barrier to publicizing the search efforts for missing people in national parks is a lack of a reliable, centralized database maintained by the Department of the Interior, the parent organization of the Natural Park Service, or NPS. While the NPS does maintain a list of active cold cases, experts estimate it does not necessarily include all persons who have gone missing. David Politis, author of Missing 411, told journalist John Billiman that he believes the number of those who go missing is so significant that the NPS must keep the real figures hidden saying it would shock the public so badly that visitor numbers would fall off a cliff when politis filed a freedom of information act request to the mps on all the data of missing persons he was told it would cost him 1.4 million dollars in fees according to the daily dot that said politis doesn't necessarily agree with the sentiments of the recent viral videos telling billiman I don't think there's a grand conspiracy to keep the numbers hidden, but the National Park Service certainly doesn't advertise that there are dozens of still missing visitors in Grand Canyon or Yosemite, and a county sheriff isn't going to put a missing person on his re-election poster. They don't make it easily known, or even someone like Politis, who is an ex-cop, has dedicated decades of his life now to this cause and helping people find missing loved ones and exploring forests and trying to find a common thread as to why this is happening even he can't get the 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 numbers so just a regular person there's no way yeah and i think that the thing about foia is they're allowed to charge you like this is the cost of the the human hours it would take to to 
get all this together and give it to you, $1.4 million is a lot of people hours. Yeah, which would, you could then draw the conclusion, there's a lot of people missing that it would cost that much to get you all that information. And you have the issue of if it is somebody that's from a local area that is possibly missing on Parks Land, if then local law enforcement has that information and they're not sharing it, you know, this issue of not sharing across law enforcement at the various levels that then you have essentially somebody who's going to fall in between a bureaucratic crack. So why doesn't the National Park Services have to keep records? That's a great question. It may just be that there's no affirmative requirement to do that as far as they don't have a... A lot of times you see with these, uh, like the IRS or the FTC or whatever, that the Congress has the authority to make the law and then it leaves rulemaking up to the individual organizations. And so it may just be that it's cost prohibitive. I mean, right there, $1.4 million is just to gather the information. They may not have the ability to, the funding to create a network or something like that. So you see the importance of someone like Politis, or we're going to see this next person that's created this database because you have like it's the private sector stepping in where the government hasn't directed funds. Or you don't want people knowing how many people are going missing in these forests. Yeah. Or you conveniently just go, man, it's expensive to maintain all that. And the, the people who it's their actual families is like, I don't fucking care how much it yeah. costs. Um, if you can missing. charge for people to come in here, then you can allocate that money to go to finding the people that are missing of the people that that have been reported politis said it's 1600 that they know of Mm -hmm. but that number is far far higher and then you have like we'll talk about in our forthcoming supreme court roundup you know if you have jurists or lawmakers that go well, life really isn't worth that much money and it would be too expensive and 1,600 people is not very many. And mm-hmm. you ask yourself as a voter, does that align with your beliefs? Is it is one person missing enough to create a database? I think so, right? Like, because if there's, well, if there's one, there's more than one, you know? Well, we so, know there's at least 1,600. And I think and that's, you, that's conservative. And you and that's a conservative estimate. You add a zero to it. You go, well, you know, we probably do need to know what's mm-hmm. going on in there. Yeah. Politis doesn't write off, though, that unexplainable forces may be at play. While he is careful to keep an open mind and not subscribe to one particular theory, he shared with George Norrie of Beyond Belief some of the more popular theories he has heard over the years. Unsurprisingly, alien abductions rank high. However, Politis points out that unexplained aircraft has never been reported in the area when a person has gone missing. To this point, Norrie speculated whether the extraterrestrials were so advanced that they were able to teleport humans from a distance unable to be seen from Earth. Or they get sucked in land of the lost style. I had never considered this, that perhaps the aliens are so advanced that they don't need to, their spacecraft, or as they call it, which I guess if you're in the know, you just call it craft, which sounds really cool. They'd be like, was there craft in the area? That the craft doesn't have to come that low to the ground that wherever they are, they just go zoop and they just zap them up in the blink of an eye. If Yeah, maybe if they're up so many thousands of feet mm-hmm. that they have some type of powerful ray that just could... Just to teleport, yeah. Yes. That was pretty terrifying to think of. This interview is fascinating. I've watched it three times now because I love both of these guys. And one thing I really like is that they don't um, 
make fun of any theories. Everything is taken very, you know, uh, I wouldn't say seriously, but just nothing is uh, considered silly or stupid. You know, all ideas are considered. But Politis is very careful to be like, I'm not going to say what it could be. There's a lot of things that people have suggested. You do get the impression that he has a, an opinion, but he just doesn't share it. He's He toes the line pretty carefully. When you want to be respectful of the people that are missing, mm-hmm. but at the same time, keep an open mind. If you just go, there's no way it's anything except the terrain, mm-hmm. then I think you're doing a disservice to people and go, listen, no, I'm not saying go out and look for Bigfoot or extraterrestrials or whatever, but just keep an open mind on possibilities and just as much search as much as possible in in order to bring them home. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably why Politis is like, I'm not writing anything off. I'm not saying it is or it isn't this thing because at the end of the day, he wants just wants people to be brought home or at least answers. Yeah. And like I said, you can go down a rabbit hole with all of this. He goes into a bunch of information about certain types of people, specifically very intelligent people in uh, specific areas of employment. Physicists, physicians tend to go missing more than others, Hmm. which they discussed, you know, if it is aliens or they... Picking at certain people, you know, kind of curating people for whatever they're abducting them for. It's all just, it's a mind fuck. Yeah, seriously. Other popular theories include government testing, serial killers, and Bigfoot. Politis notes that with all of these scenarios, tracks and evidence will be left, something that is never found by search and rescue. Additionally, it would be quite difficult for a body to be carried for a long distance in that terrain. Of all the scenarios that have been presented to Politis, he says people accidentally stumbling through a portal to another dimension checks all the boxes for the commonalities he has found with the disappearances. However, he is quick to remind Nori that he doesn't necessarily think that's what's happening. Still, reports of people seeming to vanish into thin air without a sound could make sense if they step through a rip in our dimension and into another. He tells a haunting story about a hunter in Colorado that contacted him a few years ago. And he was up on very elevated plains hunting elk, walking through um, a field where the grass was like three feet tall. And he heard something kind of coming towards him, but he didn't see anything. And then he got on this trail and he hears a loud humming noise. And then a few feet in front of him, he sees something like blurry like he said almost like you're looking through glasses that don't belong to you and he gets up to it and it looks like a mirror and he stuck his foot through and his foot disappeared and he turned around and booked it the hell out of there he got his foot out right yeah god but they the two men discussed what if you're not paying attention and you got your head down and you just stumble into another dimension or that's something that was planted by an extraterrestrial and that's where that's a, a portal to get to their ship or whatever. Yeah. And it was very scary there. George was like, what if you just stumbled into another dimension and then you couldn't get back out? And I'm like, what if there are all these people in this other dimension that are just lost and trying to find their way out? And to think of that is terrifying. Yes, because 
if the new space telescope has shown us anything. Dude, I was just thinking that. I was like, what are we can't say. There's, there are radio waves they caught today from another galaxy. Really? Yes. I didn't see that. So, and you it's see those pictures? The it's images are, it's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, so to think that we're unique or that something, other things don't exist is just arrogant. Of course, that's not true. But to think that maybe you can just accidentally be minding your own business and you just stumble into another dimension is horrifying. But he said, I mean, again, he said, I'm not saying this is it, but of all the information collected in my books by all of us and all of our researchers, these tick all the boxes of, he said, the, the common things that happen with these disappearances and not just in the Mark Twain forest, but Yosemite primarily and other forests as well. That the person that goes missing, if they're in a group, are either the first person at the line or the last person at the line. And usually they have to stop for something and and the group leaves or whatever. Or they wander off and then it's like they just vanish. There's no sign of them. There's no evidence of a struggle. There's no, you know, ripped clothing. Sometimes they'll find the person's clothing hundreds of miles away on top of a mountain. One time it was found there were shirts and pants folded neatly in the middle of a stream, which was miles away from the person went missing. So it's why and how is that happening? Your face looks <laughs> like I don't want to think about all that. It's I know. Horrifying. Well, we discussed it when we did our missing 401 yeah. cases quite a while ago, and it's something I, I still think about, but – if you go out one portal and come in another, and there's all these other theories of perhaps it's gods that are picking people for their own um, purposes, and then they don't meet their needs, so they send them back down to Earth, and those are the ones that are found deceased because they didn't they didn't cut it in the other other world or whatever. So I'm there's not going to be able to cut it in another dimension. I'm barely cutting it in yeah, this one. I don't know. It'd have to be um, a lot easier dimension than the one we're living in right now. That's true. Who, I'd be interested to, to see another dimension, though. Yeah, that's just, man, that is uh, the encounters like that where you someone has walked up to what looks like a mirror and then can stick their foot through. Good for you for pulling your foot out, buddy. I would have to. I thought for a minute... Would I have or would I have been like, I got to see what this is going to be? Get your phone, push video, record, stick that through, Ooh, go around, that's rotate, smart. pull it back through, watch the video. What if go, something, oh, okay. what if a hand grabs you and yanks you through though? Fuck. You got to leave that phone behind or do I? I'd probably go after it. <laughs> that's why you go in saved. for your phone. Yeah, my pictures same. are on there. No, uh-huh. they're on the cloud. You can have my phone. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I've told you before, my brother has said if aliens came to him and were like, we're taking you right now, but you can never see your loved ones again. He's he's peacing out. He's he's going because he can't he can't not know what is out there. So I don't think now with kids and a husband and everything, I just dive right through. But there might have been a time in my life where I'm like, let's see where this goes. And hopefully it's not um, I'm stuck in some. Twilight Zone dimension with a bunch of lost souls just wandering around. No, that would be uh, not a good choice. Uh, Horrifying. Noting the lack of publicly available information, outdoor enthusiast and graduate student at the University of Texas at San Antonio, 
Josh Leal, launched the website Missing in U.S. National Parks and Forests at missingnpf.com in October of 2020. The website was created with the goal of supplying a centralized resource for those with an interest in supporting investigative efforts. Those with missing loved ones can add their stories to the database, and those looking for ways to help can visit the site for more information. Politis also has a site and a YouTube channel that documents tons of cases in Canada and the U.S., and people can write in with with their stories to him as well. And he's very transparent and open on his uh, his videos, and he has a a, a like calming demeanor about him and he's very like uh he's very measured and you mm-hmm. know again like he takes all things into consideration he presents the facts as he sees them and kind of lets the viewer draw their own conclusions would you like that you want somebody mm-hmm. that's willing to take in all information and analyze it yeah for sure the national park service does maintain a database of its cold cases though some experts have called for more transparency If you have any information on an open case, you can call or text the NPS tip line at 888-653-0009. Send an email to NPS underscore ISB at NPS.gov or fill out the tip form on their website. To access Leal's newly created database, you can visit missingnpf.com. We'll include all this information in the show notes at sinisterhood.com slash show notes. So what do we think? Well, the forest is rife with mysteries. Both those we can explain and the horrors of man that we can. Well, maybe we can't explain it, but unfortunately, we're well aware of them. Yeah, all too real. I think it's uh, good to see the push for more transparency, more uh, keeping track, keeping records, things like that, and the internet being a one of the, the you know good and bad of the internet but one of the good parts of the internet connecting people with resources and connecting families who want as many eyeballs on their case as possible you know the local news does something but the internet searchable databases things like this if you're a hiker and you frequently hike in a place just that's part of your connection with nature but horseback riders you know help the woman that had gone missing with uh, Robert Garman and so mm-hmm. you may be the person that happens upon somebody that needs your help or sees something that maybe somebody else uh, missed in the previous search. And so I think that's one thing we can all kind of do to help when we're out there in the wilderness enjoying it ourselves. Just you know, keep your eyes peeled and see what you can see. Also, it sounds like, according to David Politis and the gentleman in the Colorado forest, keep your eyes open because you might walk through a portal and yeah. land of the lost. Keep your head up. I'm not one for... Um conspiracy theories normally Mm -hmm. and i do think a lot of these missing person cases can be attributed to just getting lost in the terrain or animal attacks and and things of that nature but the ones politis describes where there's no trace of anything there's no evidence and they all have these similarities i can't explain it Mm -hmm. it seems weird to me so I can say I can't explain it, and it could be something that is unexplainable. And and you may, as a family member of a loved one who's been lost, or even if I went missing, I want you to do everything. Yes, look I'm for going a portal. through a portal to find you. Thank you. Go through the like. 
Ghostbusters Afterlife, not Afterlife, Ghostbusters, the one with the Kate McKinnon. That oh yeah, they jump down the portal. Uh, you know anything like that where you possibilities? I think and if somebody like David Politis or others who are out there exploring these possibilities, then I think that's all the more helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you have any stories about forest stuff. Send them into our Freaky Friday. Submit them on our website because it's fascinating and I would like to uh, get some answers. So the more we all are talking about it and learning about it, the maybe maybe we'll get a, get closer to getting some people back. And yeah, just like a lead on what possibly is going on, especially when you have, and like you said, so many paranormal investigators generally looking into this and matching up stories and descriptions of people and things like that. And that might lead to you know, any the more information, better analysis. Absolutely. We love providing sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those enrolling the airwaves and getting into it tiers, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode. This month, we're going to be discussing Ezra Miller and patron-exclusive video and audio content, including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and so much more. Our patrons in the Getting Into It tier are also able to vote on a bonus content segment each month that they would like to see us live stream. This month's live stream is going to be on July 21st at 8 p.m. Central, and Reddit Am I the Asshole has come in first place, so that's what we'll be discussing and that is always makes for a fun and interesting time and also patrons in the getting into it tier get to vote on a monthly one topic for the main feed and this was it so thanks again for everybody that voted and who supports the show we have a true crime headlines coming out this week where we're discussing the case of ryan grantham the actor from diary of a wimpy kid that murdered his mom and some updates on the gabby petito case what was found in the journal from brian laundry So that will be dropping this week. You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions. This month's is going to be on the 20th at 8 p.m. Central. For patrons not in the U.S., you have the option of paying pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. You want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos? Visit Sinisterhood.com. Click on Shop on the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. You can also click the three dots at the top and share any episode. You can also go to our curated Spotify playlist where you can pick any category of things if you're into cryptids, true crime, cults, whatever, and listen to those episodes or share those with a friend. 
It means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can get the curated playlist at SinisterHood.com slash playlist. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SinisterHoodPod. And you can like us on Facebook at SinisterHood. Christy, where are you at? I am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. And I am on TikTok and Twitter at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I am on Twitter at MCK versus the world. And I'm on TikTok and Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Julia. Angie Cross. Rachel Thompson. Amanda Smith. Paula Lopez. Sarah Hauser. Caitlin Stashen. Sarah. Caitlin Monahan, Kylie Perez. Caitlin Othmer. Karen Mofford. Cage. A. Young. Jessica Goodrial. Eden Carr. Amelia Babick. Erica Swirsky. Stephanie Smith. Kent D.C. Kyle Hilliard. Liz Welch. Natalie Charlton. Allie. Elizabeth Crescelli. And Shannon Ferguson. Thank you so much for your support. We could not do this without you. We sincerely appreciate it and love you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Wah-ha-ha-ha. <laughs>